Hi, it's Chad Griffiths. I'm the host of the Industrial Real Estate Show, and I'm glad you're here. After you listen to it, please consider leaving a review on our Apple or Spotify page and check out any more episodes to see how you can learn more about the industrial real estate market. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Chad. I'm the host of the Industrial Real Estate Show, and I'm very excited to bring another great episode. And if you've caught an, a number of interviews that we've done in the past, we try to cover as much of the spectrum as we can. And that includes professionals in different areas. That also includes property owners and brokers. And we've interviewed a number of top brokers all across North America. But in this episode, we're actually going to be interviewing Tanner Lee from Colliers, who joined the industry in 2021. So he's coming into his second year of brokerage and he's had some early success already and I thought it'd be very interesting for anybody that's new into the industry or considering getting into industrial real estate to hear from someone who's gone through this career change as well and get some tips and advice on things that have worked for him uh, that hopefully would be applicable for you as well. So with that introduction the way I'm pleased to be joined by Tanner. Tanner good to see you my friend. Chad, thanks for having me. Really looking forward to uh, this podcast. Yeah, likewise. And and thanks for taking the time to do this. I know that when you're starting off in this career, you you seem to be inundated with so many different things that you need to be doing all the time. So I can appreciate how busy you are. And I can appreciate uh, that you probably have a lot of things lined up as we're going through this podcast and your phone calls and emails to get back to. So I'm grateful for you taking the time to do this. And I want to start, get, jump right into it. I, there's a number of things I want to explore with you about how you made the transition, how you, how you chose a broker brokerage, uh, and then some of the things that have worked for you along the way. But before we even get into that, could you just share with me uh, your background, uh, what, what you were doing previous to, to brokerage up until the point where you decided you wanted to pursue that as a career? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place to start. Um, the windy road of becoming a commercial or real estate broker. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm originally from Brunswick, Georgia and, um, moved over to Amelia Island, which is the most, most Northeastern point of Florida, uh, about midway through high school and, um, ended up going to college. I, I thought I was going to go to med school actually. And, uh, senior year I figured out that was not the route I wanted to take and uh my uh my roommate there was uh was getting his MBA my senior year and I thought wow I really should have gotten my business degree but uh, it's a little too late to change let me just finish up and um what I'll do is I'll uh as soon as I graduate I'll go out and get a sales job um and that had a lot to do with my personality uh better understanding about who i was i knew i was a very outgoing individual and um so you know being in business development sales uh can be draining to some people it's it's the opposite for me going out and shaking hands uh provides me with energy and so i knew that about myself and so that uh gave me at least the initial guidance to get into some business development role. Uh, there was an opportunity that came up in the food distribution space. So uh, a local food service provider here in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, gave me an opportunity uh, to, uh, took a chance on me, no sales experience, uh, pre-med background uh, to start selling food to restaurants. And um, so uh, that's what I did for about three and a half years, um, ended up uh, transferring over to a larger uh, food distributor called Gordon Food Service um, and uh, came on board to help them 
uh, open up uh, downtown Jacksonville. And um, with the uh, thought of moving into uh, St. Augustine after a few years to help open up that territory. Um, uh, but COVID hit. So I was with them for a little under two years before COVID hit. Uh, everyone knows what happens happened to the restaurant industry at that point. Uh, my route went to zero overnight and uh, it, it uh, forced me to change my trajectory. And it was something I'd been thinking about for a while. I didn't quite know what direction I wanted to go in. Um, I, I think the foundation of it is I wanted to be a better investor. And um, so I thought uh, either financial advising or commercial real estate was the route. Um, and I decided financial advising, actually. <laughs> and uh, I started interviewing uh, with a few few firms and, um, and actually was shadowing a friend of mine who's a financial advisor, older, older gentleman on uh, Millie Island, uh, Steve Nicholas. Shout out to you, sir. Um, I was shadowing him and uh, probably did that for two months before I said, this, this isn't for me. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I said, I, I'm going to go into commercial real estate. Um, and that was about as specific as I uh, had in my mind, just the broad answer of commercial real estate. Uh, didn't know what asset class. Uh, and so I, I asked his opinion, hey, do you know anyone I should speak with? Um, he put me on to one of the uh, uh, top guys there on Amelia Island and um, interviewed with him. He just so happened to be a uh, Collier's broker and um, interviewed with him. He did investment sales. Uh, I said, well, what's, what is that? What's an investment sale? I had no idea. And um, I thought the interview went well. And uh, I guess afterwards he, he had cold feet and uh, he said, I, he doesn't have time to train me, uh, which I now in it, I totally get where he was coming from. It, it's a lot to take on. Um, someone with no experience in uh, commercial real estate and train them up. It's a very time consuming, especially for a seasoned broker who's running a hundred miles an hour in every direction. Um, and so, but the, you know, the managing partner there uh, called me, called me back and he's, he said, Hey, there's another team uh, that is uh, looking to bring on a, a junior broker. And um, I, I suggest you go and interview with them. Uh, I, said, I said, well, what do they do? Uh, they do industrial. Okay, what is that? I don't even know what industrial is. And um, so I agreed to shadowing him for a few weeks. And um, as soon as I uh, shadowed him, it all clicked. I said, this is exactly where I want to be. This is the team I want to be on. And, um, you know, the, the rest is history. We have very similar stories on that, actually. And it's funny, when, when I talk to uh, newer, younger brokers right now, I always recommend that they talk to a number of different brokerages uh, before making a decision. I, I say you want to have you want to make the most educated decision you can. And to do that, you really need to talk to a number of brokerages like yourself, though. I, I actually interviewed with I had two interviews. This is back in 2004. I had two interviews and I canceled the second interview because the first interview went so well and I just knew that it was where I wanted to be and I took a job on the spot. So it's you and I have very similar experiences that way where you just if you feel that there's a good fit, uh, capitalize on the opportunity. 
And also like you, I had no idea what industrial real estate was when I started either. I thought commercial real estate, I thought I'd be working in office towers or shopping malls. Like the, the part of commercial real estate that everybody's somewhat familiar with, uh, but it, like yourself, you, if you fall into a spot, take advantage of it. So you're now new into industrial, you're, you've, you're on a team, you've joined a brokerage. What was, what was the first things that you did to even get brought up to speed on what industrial real estate was and how you're going to make a career out of this? Yeah. So let me say the, the most important was um, just being part of a, a high producing team who specializes. Um, I did interview with a few uh, smaller firms and to your point, they wanted me to get into retail leasing and um and so, uh, and it wasn't really on a team. Uh, so I was, would pretty much be a generalist uh, to a degree um, with no uh, real mentor. Um, having a mentor was important to me. So when I came on the team, um, it's a husband and wife team and um, they work really well together. And um, so I came in as support. And so that was, that's a great question that you asked. Uh, what was the first things I did? Uh, anything that they needed me to do. So um, uh, really what helped me, I guess, get a better understanding for the market was creating tour books for clients, tenants looking for space. Um, they would have me uh, put those together. And so I, I learned the market fairly quickly that way, got a general understanding uh, about it. And, um, and then eventually uh, showings, and property tours, those were really helpful in my understanding about what's important to uh, occupiers. You mentioned the importance of having a mentor in that. What was it that made you want to have that mentor in place? Uh, so it, it's always been important to me to have a mentor um, in life. They're just uh, invaluable. They're, you know, can't put a can't put a price tag on it. Um, just to have that, uh, and someone who's a, as a top producer in the market, um, when I understood, you know, where he stood amongst the other brokers, I thought, um, you know, this is who I want to attach myself to and grow with and be a part of, um, the, the, you know, the amount of stuff that I absorb, uh, and learn without even recognizing that I'm absorbing all of this information, uh, it's just something that you, it's the intangible that you don't get when you're by yourself at a smaller brokerage. Yeah, great point on that. And an earlier point that you made as well is that the first uh, gentleman that you interviewed uh, with Colliers, who was on the investment side, he said he didn't have time to train you. And mm -hmm. I think this is a really important point to drive home because I've, I've found over the 18 years or so that I've been in this business that a lot of uh, young brokers actually fail. And I think one of the reasons that they do fail is because they don't have either the right, they're not at the right brokerage, they don't have the right platform, perhaps they're not the right person to even be doing brokerage. But more often than not, that I find it's actually from the mentor, the, the person who's tasked with having to train that that person. And as you said, there's a lot that you have to learn at that beginning. And if the broker is too busy to be taking that time to invest with you, then you miss out on all that knowledge that they're transferring over to you so in that and you started in 2021 i believe right correct yep october 2021 so when you were meeting with with the the husband and wife team that were your 
your mentors. What were some of the programs? What were some of the things that they had you doing? You mentioned tour books. You mentioned going on tours. What what was it that facilitated your the environment that you could learn under so you could prosper? Um, you know, um, thinking about my mentors, they um, or you know now my my partners. Um, they would always bring me in on meetings. Um, and that was really uh, invaluable sitting in on those conversations, hearing and, you know, watching and witnessing how the lead broker handles his business. Um, and you know, how can I replicate what he does? Right. Um, so having that, um, just having someone that you could replicate, Hey, this is, this is a top producer. I get, I get a, uh, front row seat on how he operates, um, the way he has his conversations, how he sets up meetings, um, the conversations he's having. Um, it, you just don't get that experience at while you're all by yourself at um, you know smaller brokerage. Yeah, it's an apprenticeship essentially, and, sure. and I've mentioned this uh, before on on previous videos that I've done. Is the person that you're mentoring under? You need to be under somebody that's proficient and they're a producer and they've had success, but you also need to have somebody that's investing in your personal success. And there's some assistant programs out there where the the new broker comes on and they're doing a lot of menial work. And that can just be photocopies that can be mm-hmm. getting people's dry cleaning like the, that actually does exist. That's not just a something that you hear about as, as fiction that does exist where there are some assistants that don't actually get to sit in on these meetings. They don't get to talk to clients. They don't get to uh, reach out to other brokers or reach out to property owners. And that can really stunt the growth of a, of a new agent. Uh, if, if they, for you, an example, you went through, through a uh, university, the last thing you want to do after you, spend all that money and all that time in university just sitting in a cubicle uh sending emails checking on status reports you want to actually feel the action on it so i, I think that that is really important is, is and you've you've identified that you found a guy who was a successful uh broker in your market and turns out he's also very willing to give you your time what else would you say to somebody that because you're two years and in, coming into your second year now what would you say to someone that's considering getting into this brokerage business on how they find that situation that you found? Yeah. Um, so let me, let me say, um, it could be very intimidating getting into commercial real estate. Um, your gut will say, let's just get into residential. It's easier. Um, but you know, it's, it's the same licensing, uh, and commercial real estate, um, you know, there's a lot less emotion into it uh, on the sales side. Um, and so uh, my my advice would be, you know, interview with all of the top brokerage firms in the area, uh, whether that's CBRE, JLL, Cushman, uh, you know, Colliers, and then all the, you know, smaller local uh, uh, brokerages as well and see what, see what, uh, teams are looking for help. Um, and so what you would do is, uh, speak with whoever the, um, managing partner is there at the brokerage and, um, ask him, you know, what, what teams are here, what, who needs help. And, um, you know, as someone with no experience, um, the best, uh, best tool that you could give, uh, to, uh, the team that you come on board with is, you know, giving them their time back. Um, 
Uh, Chad, you mentioned whether that, that could be dry cleaning. Uh, that could just be uh, grabbing you know, photocopies or going to the printer, making runs, uh, mailers. Um, you know, sometimes that is what you have to do um, because uh, what that senior broker is uh, looking to accomplish by bringing you on is gaining his time back. And so, um, you know, to, my, to the point of, you know, the first guy I interviewed with, he didn't have time. Um, and I think that's probably going to be uh, a common uh, hurdle you're going to have to get over. Um, but when you find that, you know, one broker or two brokers that um, don't mind giving you a little bit of their time because they know the value you can bring to them in the long run, um, you know, that that's the sweet spot. Um, just do anything you can to give your senior broker his time back. Um, and eventually, you know, you'll you'll start. Uh, uh, bring in some cash flow yourself and it'll like that as well. Yeah. And I do want to talk about that uh, in, in a minute here, but great point on that is that is what a senior broker is looking for. You just don't want to be the uh, junior broker who's only doing the dry cleaning and picking yeah. up the and photocopies because there's, there's so much more to the business. And if you get stuck in a rut that that's all you're doing exclusively for a couple of years, it's going to be hard seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But I, I, I sure. agree completely with that. And it reminds me of a story. We have a, a new guy at our office who started probably about the same time you did actually. And we had a, 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 a homeless person break into the building into our uh, mechanical room at the back. And he took a giant dump in the mechanical room. And it was like a pop can size dump. And the new junior guy without hesitation offered to go and clean it up and he cleaned it up. So he was literally shoveling shit uh, for that <laughs> beginning part of the uh, wow. of his career. And he's a legend in my mind for that. Uh, he's still, he's very productive. He's an active agent. He's a really, really good agent now, but he was prepared to do a lot of those things at the beginning to, uh, to ingratiate himself with, with the rest of the office. And he did, I'll never forget that him, him shoveling that. So that's, I, that's a great sure. point on that. And actually, before we get into some of the things that you did to start getting business early on. We had a question come in from uh, Neil. Neil, thanks for joining in and the question. And if anyone else has questions as we're going for uh, going through this uh, for Tanner, please feel free to put it in the chat and we'll, we'll get to those as well. Uh, but Neil asked, once you found a team you liked, was it still a stressful transition into industrial? So um, the short answer is yes, uh, it is stressful. Um, I think any new job is going to bring on some sort of uncertainty and stress. Um, you're learning um, a completely new skill. And um, so it was, it was stressful and, and there's a lot to learn. I, I kept saying um, it, it's like drinking water uh, out of a fire hydrant. There's so much information, so much to learn. Um, I also came in uh, <laughs> at peak craziness of, you know, right in the COVID phase of where uh, my team was uh, I just gangbusters with um, activity. And so they were, uh, it, it was a lot to learn. Um, but, you know, I, I would say it took me a, a full year to finally get my feet underneath me. Um, I kept wanting to uh, prematurely get out into the market and start, you know, doing some tenant rep work, um, investment sale work, whatever I could do. Um, 
you know, and the managing partner kept saying, you know, slow down, just you're doing a good job. Keep learning. Um, you want to provide value so bad. Um, but, you know, the the way you do that is by um, staying focused and learning as much as you can about the industrial um, asset or whatever asset class you're in, as well as the market. You, you got to learn the market um, or you're not going to be able to have real conversations with investors or um, occupiers. You got to learn the market. Um, so I, once I hit that one year mark, um, I finally got my feet underneath me and, uh, you know, I'm out knocking on doors and uh, it just comes out like uh, second language now. It really does. That's a good, great way of describing it is that you come into it almost like learning French as an example, where you look at it and you're like, I can't speak a word of this. But before you know it, once you're talking to more people and you become more fluent in it, it does become second nature. So what when you were focusing on learning industrial real estate and you were focusing on becoming a, uh, an expert in the local market, how did you how did you go about that? What was your game plan? So um, another uh, perk of being on um, you know top top brokers team is he has a ton of data. Um, he's got uh, his CRM or however they track it. They've, they're tracking the market and there's a ton of lease comps, sales comps. Uh, so that was a great place for me to just get a general understanding of where the market is. Um, another piece was driving the market. Uh, it's always recommended on the weekends uh, when the parks aren't um, very busy. You can just drive by and look at the different uh, industrial parks, what kind of occupiers are there. Um, once you start getting a feel for that, um, you start looking at it from a higher level, uh, functionality of the building, accessibility to roadways, uh, all of those uh, start coming into play. Um, I'm trying to think. And, and then really um, just touring the market. It, it really comes down to touring the market and understanding comps. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that you say this you're in florida i'm in western canada so we're on the other side of the continent from one another in completely different markets but there's so much similarity and overlap between what you're doing there and what i'm doing here and and i've said this numerous times as well driving the market on a weekend is one of the most productive things you can do whether you're a brand new broker or a seasoned broker because you just learn so much uh, that you wouldn't see by going onto a computer or, or just ha uh, trying to pick it up through osmosis. You actually need to physically go and do that. And I love the point you made too about the value of touring properties. That'd be the, th those would be the two recommendations I'd have for anybody getting into this business. Spend your weekends driving industrial parks and get through as many properties as you can. And ideally, if you can listen to a tenant talk about a building or you can listen to a, a seasoned broker talk about the building, now you're getting a sense of the language and it gets back to, when you start off, you don't understand how everybody's talking about it. But the more you get into it, the more you immerse yourself into it, then you start realizing that clear ceiling heights are important to some users, but they're less so for others. And you only get that knowledge from actually doing it. There's not a textbook. There's no book out there that will actually spell this all out for you. You have to get your hands a little bit dirty. We're sometimes called dirty booters uh, in industrial real estate because we're okay. walking through construction sites and mud. Uh, so you got to get your feet dirty and your hands dirty on it. So great points. Uh, th thanks for sharing that. And, and I'd emphasize that as well. So those are two great points. 
so I want to, I want to hear how you started uh, developing business for yourself. But before we even do that, uh, on the topic of being a local market expert, I, I'd just even love to hear a little bit more about Jacksonville and North Florida in general and, and what's happening in that industrial market. Hello, my name is Wyatt Hammond, and I am the producer of the Industrial Real Estate Podcast. I'm here to let you know that this episode is being sponsored by Tyler Cobble's Industrial Real Estate Investing Course. This course will teach you how to find, fund, and close your first commercial real estate deal, even if you're starting from scratch. It is a self-guided online course that teaches real-world practical principles to succeed in commercial real estate investing. If you're interested in learning more or signing up for the course, you can click the link in the description. Now back to your episode. Yeah, so um, Jacksonville, um, when these companies uh, are looking to uh, build a warehouse or occupy a warehouse, they want to be in you know, the four quadrants of the United States. Um, and so they look at the Southeast and typically you have uh, uh, Charleston, you have Savannah and Jacksonville. Those are the three ports on uh, the Southeast that they're uh, considering and the markets they're considering. Um, and so when we look at the ports, uh, it, it's the driver for our cities. Um, right now, Jacksonville just completed last year, the deepening of the Harbor uh, we're at 47 feet deep. And so we're on par with Savannah and Charleston. Um, we're half the distance, port to buoy. And oh, by the way, we're a two lane. So uh, compared to Savannah, that's a, a one lane. And so uh, we are uh, congestion free. Uh, we do about 1.5 million tons uh, a year and we have capacity to do 3 million. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have the capacity to double what we're doing now and that, uh, Harbor deepening has uh, really opened up the gates to um, to receive more ships, bigger ships, and uh, to meet that capacity. And so uh, the other piece of it is, uh, you know, infrastructure. Our highway system here uh, is very important uh, for logistics. We have I-10 that runs from Jacksonville all the way to the West Coast, and we have I-95 that runs all the way down to Miami and all the way up to Maine, north. And so we're right at this intersection uh, from a logistics standpoint um, to where if you wanna get on the highway uh, for easy highway access, well, we have that here. Um, and then uh, another piece of, of that is um, our, uh, the other fundamental piece of it would be uh, the Navy. We have a Navy here, it's our largest employer. We got about, they hire about 30,000 people uh, a, a year, uh, our 30,000 employees are, um, are go to work there. Uh, 3,000, uh, enter the workforce market here in Jacksonville. Uh, and so it's a quite an easy transition for, uh, those Navy service members to jump into, uh, some sort of higher level, uh, management position inside of a, a warehouse. They're pretty easy to point out. Um, uh, and the most important factor that, um, that I really love the city and uh, being in the industrial space here is our labor market. Uh, Savannah, you know, typically wins a lot of the uh, bigger box retailers um, because of the ships. But for these other companies, the, they look at all these factors and at the top of their list is labor. Uh, how much does it cost, you know, per hour uh, for the labor? And how abundant are they? Well, Savannah, the market is 
airtight. Everyone's battling over employees. Uh, or you could come here to Jacksonville, and uh, but you know our labor market is huge. We have plenty of labor uh, available, and so um, it really uh, we've really been winning a lot of bids from um, uh, businesses when they consider where they want to be in the southeast. Uh, Jacksonville keeps winning um, over and over again. Uh, you know, and th at, that's from an occupier standpoint. From from a developer uh, standpoint, they they say, well, you know, should we should we build here in Jacksonville? Well, if you're looking at Class A industrial, uh, we're at less than one percent vacancy. It is uh, we are so tight, uh, and that includes functional Class B as well. Um, our overall market is experiencing historic low vacancy rates. Um, some right around 2%, call it, um, 5% would be normal. 2% is airtight. Um, you know, uh, what I've been doing is a lot of tenant rep work and, uh, those conversations have not been, uh, fun to have. Uh, we, we keep seeing, uh, you know, these uh, occupiers signed at least five years ago, I call it 2018, 2019, their lease is coming up for renewal. And the landlords, uh, they know they know what the market conditions are, uh, and so they're experiencing, you know, fifty percent increases up to a hundred percent increase on their rent. And you know, I, I have the conversation with them: Hey, we we're not paying that rent. We want to find somewhere new. And so, um, going back to knowing the market, you can help educate them and help them um, give them uh, a better understanding of what the markets, uh, what's available in the market and, you know, is it worth moving? So from a developer standpoint and an occupier standpoint, um, Jacksonville is a great place to be right now. What I love about what you just said there is how confident you said it and how much knowledge you packed into a couple of minutes. And I'd encourage anybody that's in this business or getting into this business to be prepared to have that exact same amount of knowledge at your fingertips because you, you, I'm sure you could ask that question all the time. What's happening in the market? What does it look like? Whether that's somebody in Jacksonville, it's a tenant, whether it's a landlord, whether it's somebody outside of Florida, that's just inquiring. You, you're going to get asked those types of questions all the time and how you just broke that down into, into a very neat and concise tidbit. Uh, sound bites almost on, on talking points that people could be like, okay, I know I took a few really good things from there. Uh, wonderful. And I'm sure you're having that conversation uh, all the time. So good on you for doing that. Um, I see there's a couple questions that came in, which I think are going to be a natural segue uh, into this next part. As I had, I hope I'm saying your name right. Uh, any tips for prospecting especially for new agents. Thanks for the question. And this is where I wanted to, to go into next anyways. So appreciate the question. And Tanner, I'll turn that over to you. When you now, now that you had this confidence, you were comfortable uh, talking to people, delivering a message just as you were about your, your expertise in the market and, and the value add that you can provide to people. How did you translate that now into actually going to get some business? And to Zayed's uh, point, any tips that you had and things that worked for you when you were prospecting? Yeah, so um, I think there's a constant debate between uh, the phone and in-person prospecting. Uh, the phone, you'll have volume, but uh, it, the quality of the interaction is reduced. And so I found success in um, knocking on doors. 
that's been my experience in any business development um, in the food distribution space. And I've transferred that over to uh, the industrial space as I'm prospecting for tenant rep opportunities. Um, and so uh, knocking on doors, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really given me uh, a viewpoint of what's happening behind those doors. Uh, you just drive by a warehouse, you have no idea what's going on behind those doors. And so actually knocking on the doors, uh, speaking with the people, um, having them see your face, having those conversations, you never know how those uh, conversations are going to go. You never know what relationships may come. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a balancing act. Um, I, I've started off on the kind of smaller square footage. I, I don't like to go under 10,000 square feet because it's not worth uh, my time necessarily. Um, but you find those, uh, which 10,000 square feet might sound small, but, um, they might have a lease that's coming up. Um, they're, they got bought out by a larger company and Hey, we, we need 50,000 square feet, um, uh, by the end of the year or hundred thousand square feet. You never know what kind of growth these companies are, uh, heading into. And so I, I would just highly recommend, um, finding an industrial park and just, um, starting a grid door by door, you know, property by property, um, introducing yourself. Um, you gotta be uh, top of mind. Um, no one's gonna call your name, uh, because you called them on the phone one time, but if you go and shake their hand and, um, have a real conversation with these occupiers, uh, I think that goes a long way. And, um, I, I, I could tell you, I'm, I see, the uh i've already experienced the fruit of my labor and um i've, I've had some uh good success so far and i'm six months into it congrats on that that's that's exciting and and i'd echo those comments i when i first started i did both i tried cold calling and i've made thousands of calls and i had success with it but the most success i had by far was actually walking into spaces uh walking into properties you get to you see so much as well you actually get to understand their business and understand per perhaps constraints that they have or issues that they have when you were going through these spaces what was your general message you you perhaps getting in a uh, meeting with the secretary right at the beginning. How did you get through to the person that was actually going to make the decision? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's always the challenge, right? Um, what's nice, on, you know, going back to the smaller space, uh, typically these companies, uh, you know, the COO answers the door. Um, <laughs> he's the person that you speak with. Um, but there are uh, quite a few, instances where you run into um, the receptionist and um, the gatekeeper, whatever you want to call them. And you have to uh, figure out how to navigate that. Um, so right now our, our team has a lot of new development coming to market. And so I've been using that as um, almost my reason why I'm stopping by, even though um, there's more to it. Um, but that's part of it. Hey, we have some new space coming on the market. Uh, I just want your company to be aware of it in case you're looking for expansion, or maybe consolidation, maybe you have a lease expiring. Um, is that something, are you the person who I should be speaking with? Um, and, you know, typically uh, some of them can, don't like giving that information. Um, I have a, uh, I have my business card or some brochures. 
and I have it all in a nice packet. So I just hand it to them. I said, if, if they don't want to give me their name or if they do, hey, could you hand this information to them just so they have it? Um, and there's been instances where I've had very cold um, interactions that way. And lo and behold, 48 hours later, I'm getting a call from uh, the director of operations and, um, hey, they need some more space. And so um, that's been how I um, get in the door. Sometimes the receptionist will give you a phone number, potentially a name. Uh, I like to ask for a business card of who that may be. And, you know, if they give that to you, that's really great. Um, if not, um, can you find out a name of the person who you should be speaking with before you leave? That could be valuable. Um, and uh, just having that name will be uh, a tremendous amount of value as a follow-up phone call. And, um, and so Colliers has been kind enough to give me some training on the phone. So I do have a method of um, uh, following up with a phone call um, after that in-person uh, conversation in hopes to set up a meeting with the decision maker. Yeah. As you're explaining that, it sounds very simple, but it's brilliant in its simplicity. And I, I agree completely. And again, this goes back to the fact that we're in completely different cities, but there's so, so many similarities on this. I'm a big believer as well that any anytime you're prospecting, your best chance of success is if you're providing something of value. And what a lot of new agents, especially ones that don't have a lot of experience do is that they'll just go in and say, hey, does anyone need to leave space in here or something to that effect? It's, it, it's just very direct. Whereas I think if you contrast to what you're doing is you're going in with a brochure of a, of a new development and your message is just saying, we've got a new property going up just down the street from you, something to this effect anyways. I uh, just want to see if you guys need any space or you're just curious what's happening in the market. And if you can provide some marketing information and every company that's occupying real estate, that real estate is a, a very expensive line item on their statements. So they're very cognizant of what that number means. So I've found that most companies are willing to talk if you're giving them information. If you're just trying to make it one-sided about, hey, I need you to work with me because I'm the best broker, you probably are going to get even more cold responses. But if you're giving them something of value and actual information, I think that they're much more involved in that process. So I couldn't, couldn't agree with that more on how you're approaching that. And, and I, I'm certain that if you can continue on that trajectory and just always adding value, always trying to uh, explain to people how you're just, you're, offering them something as opposed to trying to get something and then you dip, put them into your crm and you're following up with them regularly you're going to be the guy it's you deliver the the, uh, the quick presentation that you showed me about uh, uh jacksonville's market you're following up with them consistently you're giving them market information you're responsive you're the guy it's just that's the the fact of the matter so uh, it it doesn't need to be more complicated than that it really is just a matter of how can you meet more people how can you give more people value and then following up with them until they have a need uh, and let me well i want to say i want to add uh one more thing oh by the way mr occupier my service is completely free to you tenants don't pay a lot of them uh, i've noticed this as a trend uh they think they'll get a better deal if they reach out to the listing agents um, and don't have a broker they think they'll be able to save some money and so I have to educate them. Look, any advisory that I uh, provide uh, you and your team, it's completely free. 
and all the way until you find the space, I'll help you all the way with negotiating the lease, um, up, you know, get the lease drafted, make sure all the talking points are in there. And once you finally occupy the space, it's nothing out of your pocket. Um, so uh, that, that, that's the greatest sell of them all. Yeah. And it's, it's not even really a sell. It's, it's no. advisory, it's consulting. It's, and, and I, some of the most successful transactions I've had were ones that I didn't have to sell. They were ones that actually, like you said, you're, you're explaining how you're going to be involved in the process and what you can offer. If you can uh, relay to them information that they didn't even know before that you're, they, they don't have to pay you directly. Those are all just consulting and advisory uh, add-ons to give to them. Uh, so I, one more question that came in uh, from Afsel. Uh, White, if you don't mind pulling that one up. Yeah, hey, Chad, I'll just read this one to you just because there's a typo. So it's just easier if, okay. if I do. So I'm pretty sure he's asking, how does a new inspiring investor become their local industrial market expert, especially Class B? Thanks, Wyatt. And yeah, Class B is a, a very fascinating uh, asset right now. Someone asked uh, on Twitter the other day what what their investment thesis would be to invest in any asset class right now. And my answer was class B industrial in the Sunbelt. So this is right in, uh, right in your neck of the woods. And I know uh, Tanner, that you have aspirations to be an investor as well. So to, to ask all's question, how would he, so you got to take off the broker hat for a second yeah. and put on the, the investor hat. How, how would you recommend to someone that they could become a local industrial market expert? Inspiring investor to become a local industrial market expert. So as an investor, um, what I notice a lot of them reach out to all the brokerage firms, speak with industrial brokers, pick their brain. Um, and you know, the brokers will uh, be happy to speak about their market um, because you'll be a potential buyer of, of an asset. And so as a new inspiring investor, um, Class B is absolutely where you want to be, um, you know, if you could afford it. Um, and I just want to say Class C isn't a terrible place to start at all either. Um, you know, as long as the building's not falling apart, um, <laughs> you could still find some nice infill opportunities. Um, so, uh, yeah, it would be having those conversations with uh, the brokers, understanding what uh, what's the current lease rate if you have a property in mind. Uh, ask a broker, hey, I'm considering buying this property. What, what do you think it would lease for? Um, is the purchase, what, what should the purchase price be? Um, what, what kind of a, a cap rate should I be looking at um, on the entry and uh, potentially the exit on the other end, um, depending on how long you want to hold? Um, so that would be my, my suggestion, reaching out to um, so here, here, here's an easier way. Go on to CoStar or LoopNet, pull up properties, uh, go to contacts, and you'll see the broker, the listing agents. You'll find all sorts of contacts who are experts in industrial um, with their phone numbers right there. And uh, you could reach out to them that way. Great point. And I encourage people to reach out to brokers as well. As you said, brokers are, are very eager to talk and share their knowledge. Uh, even if there's no potential deal for them, 
a lot of brokers will just take that forward looking approach where they might get a, a deal from that person down the road. So having more conversations uh, for a broker is never a bad thing. Uh, so I, I would encourage you to reach out to uh, brokers as well. And then just read everything you can on the local market. You, you essentially want to be a local market expert, the same as Tanner is. Uh, you want to really understand that local market the same. So read all the research re reports that come out, all the major brokerages like Collier's and CB and JLL, they'll all put out quarterly reports for all the major markets. And there's a lot of info uh, and data that goes into those. So you can see some of the, the big sales that have happened. You can see some of the big leases and then just check listings all the time. If LoopNet and CoStar is the easiest, but even if all you did, if you didn't want to pay for those services, is you just went onto the big brokerage websites and see what listings they have, just so you can start getting a familiarity of what certain properties are leasing for. So once you do that enough times and then adding into driving an industrial park uh, every weekend, I think this is applicable for investors or brokers. And then you start put, piecing all this together. Now you'll know, you'll, you'll see a building come on the market, call it a 50,000 square foot class B building. And you'll say, well, I've got a pretty good idea what that's going to lease for because I've looked at all these other comps and I've seen things coming available. So it's, it really is just, you have to understand the market first and foremost, uh, and then understand your downside risk as well. Uh, it, and without going too much into detail on that right now, uh, you, you need to understand low or low ceiling heights and impediment uh, are there certain areas that aren't attractive and I, I don't know about jacksonville specifically but do you have give uh flood zones there yes we do yeah yeah um we also have um environmentally challenged zones as well um so as a new investor i would uh get familiar with what a phase one and phase two environmental is um I guess that could be very important on the investment side What's driving the, the environmental issues? Uh, just, I, and this is a, a certain area, um, but it's where the Class C is. Um, and it looks like a great dollar per square foot, uh, great opportunity. Um, it just had to do with previous users um, and uh, I guess more lax uh, government interference on what was allowed there. Um, just say dumping of chemicals or... Um, a previous, uh, there was like a bumper plant where they would dip the bumpers in some kind of nickel or something. Hmm. And that got into the soils and the water. And so, um, but that, that's a very small area. Um, uh, you know, but the, the challenge is with those as an investor, uh, well, the banks won't loan you, won't, uh, loan you money for a property like that. And so, you think, well, I could do a seller finance or I could buy it cash. Um, but, you know, when you go to sell it, your buyer pool is dramatically shrunk because they can't get financing. And so um, little nuances like that, you, you just need to be aware of. Yeah. And it goes back to that drinking from a fire hose. You've, you've got to understand all of this, all of this. And whether you're going to be a broker or an investor, I, I don't think you should be making big decisions until you have a fundamental grasp on all this. So I'd say don't, don't rush into anything. That seems like that was the advice you got from your managing partner as well as don't rush into trying to do this until you have a firm understanding. I think that also relates to investors. Don't invest just because you're attracted to the asset class or you think that's going to have great returns. You really do need to have a solid understanding of the, of the industry before you go through that. So a, a good point on yeah. that. Thanks for, thanks for going into that. Yeah. And so what, what we like to do with developers or investors um, you know, we, we typically bring them into the office, give them a virtual tour of the market, and then we'll go drive it. 
uh, you know, it takes about uh, four hours. Uh, our, you know, our market's, you know, fairly uh, easy to access. Um, it's not like Atlanta where it takes, you know, a few hours to go from one industrial park to the other. Um, we, we could cover the entire market fairly quickly um, and get you brought up to speed. And we always recommend um, anything uh, if you want to get into the market, uh, let us give you a, a background overview of uh, all the different parks and, you know, what our market um, trends are. And then you just hang around the rim. Um, you keep looking, you keep uh, looking for opportunities and eventually call it a year, two years down the road, the right opportunity will present itself and you'll be in a position to, to strike. Yeah. Well said. I want to transition and, and perhaps we could end off on this as well as on social media. And we, we still have a few minutes here. So if anyone does have any other questions for Tanner, uh, please do feel free to put those in the chat. But one thing that I've, I've noticed and, and I'm, I'm older than you are, but I'm not older as as old as some of the senior brokers out there. So I'm kind of right in that middle spot where I love technology. I love social media. I have a podcast. Uh, so I've, I'm obviously embraced social media and everything that comes with it. But I also find that the younger generation specifically tends to use it as a crutch or, and perhaps they also look at it as a way that they can circumvent having to do those old school prospecting methods, such as door knocking or cold calling. In my experience, I've found that social media is helpful, but it's it's the equivalent of having a football team. And I've used this analogy all the time. Uh, but to win a football game, you need to have all the players on your on your team on the field. And social media is one of those players. It's very hard to win a football game if you have one player out there. So social media can be very beneficial, but it's not going to win a game unless you also have a player on your feet on the team that's cold calling and door knocking. And this is encompassing what one person's responsible to do. But with you being a year and a half into the business now, what has been your experience using social media and how have you used it and how have you had success or lack of success on that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, there's no doubt that uh, social media technology um, needs to be a part of your uh, plan um, in one way or another. And so for me, uh, LinkedIn is definitely one of the top platforms that I use. And um, the name of the game for me and uh, my underlying thesis for this year is networking. I, I've got to get my name out there. Um, I've got I've to meet new people. Um, and that's where the opportunities lie is within those relationships. And so LinkedIn is a great uh, uh, platform to uh, keep uh, building on those relationships. And, you know, a, a general uh, idea of the way that would work is you go to some sort of networking event, uh, you get some business cards and you follow up the next day and um, just say it was a pleasure meeting you and you keep just building that network there. Um, the other platform would be uh, Twitter. In fact, that's how uh, this interview came to be. Uh, someone was asking about um, uh, Savannah's port, and I chimed in with a little bit of information and uh, figured I would share a little bit more about the Southeast. And so um, uh, Twitter's been a great platform. I've noticed it's been more um, investor forward on Twitter. A lot of investors there are looking to deploy capital. Um, 
in fact, one of my connections there uh, has been one of the few uh, investment sales that has um, uh, executed this year. Um, he, he bought a, the a William Sonoma building, 138,000 square feet. And so um, it was interesting to see, hey, I know this guy from Twitter. I've had conversations with him. And now here, here he is in the market uh, buying a brand new Class A industrial building with a with a quality tenant, and um, and so uh, Twitter's been great as well. Yeah, and I think you posted on that that was a hundred forty thousand dollar commission, something to that effect. Oh, that that was that was uh that was separate. I was just uh, okay uh, bragging about uh, finding sourcing a tenant for an iOS uh, industrial outside storage uh, site that our our team was uh, the listing agent on. Yeah, it, there's big fees involved in there. And and I like that point that you made is that I, I think you need to have social media right now. I think the, yeah. the brokers that are are reluctant to get onto it uh, or or investors that are reluctant to get onto it are really missing a lot of opportunities. And it doesn't need to be onerous. It doesn't need to spend eight hours a day. In fact, you shouldn't spend eight hours a day on social media. Yeah. It should just be something that supplements your business. When you're on social media, what what's your general message? What are you trying to portray when you're thinking of engaging or putting posts or comments? What's, what's your general strategy for that? That's a great question, Chad. Um, and I don't have one either. So <laughs> okay, all right, good, good. I feel a little bit better here. Um, you know, and I listened to your interview with, um, I can't remember uh, the lady's name, but she, she does really well in social and, uh, uh, yeah, so her, I think one of her big no-nos was uh, a constant flood of, hey, I have this listing or, hey, this just went for sale and it's just kind of all about you. Um, there is a, you know, those are some posts. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to um, it, do a better mix of uh, what, what am I looking to get out of it um, or put out there into um, my followers' ears. And so one of it is, it has to be the new listings. It has to be, hey, we just closed on you know these two investment sales this year, which you obviously post on. Um, uh, really, just uh, things that matter to you. Uh, LinkedIn is different than Twitter. Twitter, I gear it more uh, towards um, probably helping out younger brokers, um, just so they can follow along on my journey. Um, where LinkedIn is a bit more professional and uh, buttoned up. Yeah, the the only strategy that I have is is kind of on that topic of Beverly giving advice. I, I tend to look at it as if you're in a, a big networking function and say you, everybody organizes themselves in a big circle and they go around and everybody's talking about themselves for a minute. What are you going to fill that minute with? Uh, because that's that's the really the attention span that you're dealing with if if you're on social media because there's so much information and so much noise out there. So what what do you fill that minute with? And some people might just go in and talk about how great they are. They might just say, "Here's all the deals that I closed last year, and here's all the people that I'm working with, and here's how awesome I am." And that might resonate with some of them. But I think a much more powerful message is if, if you can give value. And it just goes back to that whole value add concept of whatever you're doing. If you can add value, I think you just increase your chances of success. I think it's the same. It's my it's my whole format with this podcast and with YouTube in general. Is I really just try to throw out as much value as I can with the hope that somebody finds it helpful. 
that's that's my approach that doesn't mean that that's the best approach because i think the one guy who gets up and talks about how great he is if there's somebody that's in the market for what he has to sell and they see that he's the best or at least he believes he's the best maybe that resonates with that person so i i don't have a perfect format on that either i i just know that it's you and i met on twitter and and that's fascinating uh the fact that we're on the other side of the continent and we had this chance to chat in person now all because of twitter and and i think it was because neither one of us was trying to sell the other person or try to be overly aggressive it was just is there an opportunity to chat about this and i think as a high overarching philosophy on social media i think that that does well uh but it's it's a much slower approach as opposed to getting something immediate so if you do find out if you do find a system that that does work for you please do share it maybe we'll have to do a follow-up uh episode if you crack that magic code too sure sure yeah uh, so we'll we'll wrap up there. Uh, I, I'm going to put links to your uh, LinkedIn and your Twitter uh, in the description. And then uh, just stick with me for a second here because I just have a quick closing note. Uh, if anyone's uh, available uh, at three o'clock Eastern, uh, my friend Ron Rohde is doing a uh, putting out a video where him and I are talking about the effects inflation is going to have on the commercial industrial real estate market. And we, we go head to head on this We're it's not both of us agreeing with the other person's point. We, we have a healthy debate on this. So I'll put a link to that uh, in the comments as well. That's at three o'clock Eastern and uh, back to this show. I really do thank you, Tanner, for taking the time to, to jump on this. Um, if, if you're watching this, if you like this, please give us a thumbs up. If you didn't like this, give us a thumbs down. I like feedback of all kinds. So thumbs up or thumbs down. And I encourage you to reach out to, to, Tanner on LinkedIn and Twitter and Tanner. Well, one of these days when I'm in Florida, I'd love to connect and grab coffee or a beer as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, you know, Jacksonville has a, a lot of things happening for it. Um, in general, uh, we got $4.7 billion in investment happening in our downtown uh, riverfront revitalization. So uh, uh, it, it, there's just so much happening here and um, we, we'd love to have you, Chad. So if you ever visit, um, I'd love to give you a, a full tour. Love it. Okay. Well, we'll be in touch. Thank you once again for sharing all your insight and uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, Catch you next week. Well, I hope you got some value from that episode. I always enjoy getting to speak with these guests. Again, if you got any value from this, please leave a review on our Apple or Spotify page and look to catch you in the next episode. Thanks.